Hi, welcome to the Whole Therapist Podcast. We're leaving out the theorizing and exploring the strange phenomenon of being a human and a therapist. I'm Kelly, licensed marriage and family therapist, working part-time at my private practice and part-time at a community mental health agency in the Denver metro area. And I'm Abby. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and the owner of a group practice in the Denver metro area. Kelly and I are both registered play therapists, supervisors, and EMDR certified. So we're both therapists, but this is not therapy. And we're both supervisors, but this is not supervision. This podcast is purely for fun, and please refer to your state guidelines and licensing boards for any ethical concerns. And please remember to subscribe and follow our podcast and on Instagram. So come join our conversation while we explore the embodied experience of neuroscience and authenticity in the therapy room. Hi, I'm Kelly. And I'm Abby. Welcome to the Whole Therapist Podcast. We're at episode two today. Um, We really want to maybe be speaking about being a therapist uh, while also being a human in the time of COVID. So we've been talking and thinking a lot about parts since the last time we met. Um, And I think that we have had some discussions about the part of you that's experiencing COVID and the part of you that's in the therapy office that has to hold the client or clients or family who's experiencing COVID. And just how much that is to hold all those things. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like at some point we should say today that uh, in the spirit of being authentic, that Kelly and I sat here for like 45 minutes and talked about this episode and... And we have doodles on our on our pages for our notes. I wrote episode two and she's got some doodles on her notepad. So we're doing this episode with not a lot of notes, but I think quite a lot to say. Um, but we are five months into the pandemic and it's shifted from this crisis. I really feel like back in March, COVID was um, quite unexpected I even had people joking about the coronavirus Mm -hmm. back in like February and March 13th was our experience here in the Denver area when schools went to remote learning and it was quite abrupt. And there's been this shift in the last few months of we're in it for the long haul. This is no longer um, like survival mode. I mean, it might be, but we need to put things in place for it to be sustainable. Mm -hmm. So probably all of us are talking about that with clients all the time, especially if you work with parents who are trying to teach their kids and school choices. But I think as therapists, it is a lot to hold for us when we're going through the exact same thing as our clients. And we need to put things in place to make this not only sustainable, but um, like it's a resiliency opportunity maybe as clinicians um, for ourselves and for the people we work with. Yeah. And I, I think if, if you haven't thought about it before, this is right in front of us that clients will always bring in parts of you into mm-hmm. the room. And here it is, right? We are all experiencing COVID. And so if you cannot identify another time where somebody has brought a part of you into the therapy room, uh, it, it is here now. Um, and we want to talk about how do you manage that part of you that's in the room while also holding that for the client. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it was easy to pretend before this. Yeah. Um, We can't do that anymore because we're all living through the pandemic with varying degrees of 
loss or disappointment or circumstances. I'm just thinking about um, how how maybe you and I respond differently now. Mm, um, yeah. Versus maybe had we just got out of grad school yes. or not had the information about interpersonal neurobiology right. with the clients that are in our offices now. Yeah, I think... One thing I have noticed is that clients need to know that I'm okay. Mm. Um, And that comes up with direct asking, or it's something that I can sense that they want to ask, but don't know if they can. Um, And one thing, so many of us are, all of us are experiencing loss. Um, My dad passed away a few months ago. And so I took a month off of work and I, and it's another opportunity, like we're talking about Kelly, that you you have to be authentic with people, especially in the midst of the pandemic. Maybe a year ago, I could have said, I need to take a leave of absence and not said I had a death in my family. Mm-hmm. In the pandemic, um, everyone's going to wonder why I'm taking a month off. And so I had to be honest and then also model some good self-care. But in coming back to the office, I need to almost assure them, I I really do have a foot in my okayness. This has been a really hard year for all of us, and I am okay. And in this moment, I'm really happy to be with you. And that answer is so different than I think, you know, my 23-year-old self out of grad school would have been like, um, you're really wondering how I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's just so like this placated response. I mean, yeah, that would make me so angry now if some, if I was in a therapy room and my therapist was like, wondering why that's important for you to know or yes um but that was the training right whereas mm-hmm. now how freeing for me to even name yeah i've been i've been very sad grief is a lot and i'm so glad to have been taking care of some of that so i can come back and be with you and i really want to know how you are and that feels like a much healthier redirection. They're not taking care of my feelings, but I'm naming that. Mm -hmm. Um, Many of you listening might have had COVID or have someone in your life who has had COVID. And especially with needing to quarantine, you know, maybe you're in the schools or you're in community mental health, or you don't have the option to be telehealth. Mm -hmm. And so when we take 14 days away, we're going to have to, to name like I am or am not okay so that our clients feel safe. And I think for me, that felt freeing. I can name that I have grief and I can be here with that person. Yeah. Um, Do you remember when maybe a, a client or was there a moment where you shared really authentically what was going in there while you took a break or when you came back and do you remember seeing like on their body or their mm. face or their response where you were like, yes, this is the right thing to do. I'm so glad I said this. I think we both take a breath. That's mm. one thing I noticed, or I'll even say, and as I'm saying that I noticed your body is settling more in the couch and mine too. Like we'll even name together now that we both know that this is safe. Right. But I do notice like a literal release, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and in me, at least for sure, I can observe things about the client, but for me, I can feel much more connected to myself when I name, even with kids. Um, that's something that Lisa Dion talks about a lot. And you could speak more to that Kelly, but just like, I have three little kids. So in and out of maternity leave and postpartum life, like if I am really tired, better for me to name, I'm well, I am really tired today. So you might see me drink some more coffee right? yes. and that's okay. Instead of me just acting like 
I'm not tired at all. I've got this. And then I'm really exhausted at the end of the day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think what some people might call that, and, and we see that in family systems, is kind of shape-shifting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I am going to shape-shift into what I think a therapist is supposed to look like or a therapist is supposed to do. And when we shape-shift or we're not um, having our authentic self out there, people are picking up on that consciously or subconsciously whether it's conscious or unconscious the feeling of safety leaves the room and how cool to just at the beginning when you know a lot of folks maybe you do a check-in whether you're working with adults or kids how are you how was your week the authentic piece that gets to come out I so resonate with what you're saying I have been very intentional over the last couple months to be very honest about how I'm doing Mm -hmm. I don't want a client to think that I have it all together and yeah. that um, nothing goes wrong for me um, and I'm always fine. Oh yeah, I'm doing great. Mm-hmm. I really want them to see that most people have hard times and most people, everybody, I think I can say has hard days. Especially in COVID as we're talking yes. about the pandemic, how ridiculous is that? If someone's like, how are you? And we say, I'm awesome. I'm yes. doing awesome. <laughs> No one is doing awesome. All of this is unknown. And, and I'm so glad to be with you. So I think that that becomes a difference. A lot of people might have a hard time with the authenticity, Mm -hmm. because all of a sudden the client, they worry the client's going to feel responsible for their feelings, or they worry that it's not professional anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think the really clear line is, are you still connected to connected to yourself or connected to the therapeutic relationship. So I'm not going to be venting about, I know, right? School is a mess this year. And what are you doing? I don't know what I'm going to do. We're not going to go into all of that because then I'm just not connected to like, I am still a therapist. um, And this isn't a friend that I'm venting to. Mm -hmm. Um, But we can hold both. I think that and Dr. Alexandra Solomon talks about that, how we are, we live in multitudes. We are multitudes. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to parts, we need to acknowledge all of that, especially now mm-hmm. with clients. Um, and I hate masks too. We need them, mm-hmm. wear them, mm-hmm. but I can resonate with a kid client. Yeah, they are annoying to wear. My yes. nose is itchy too, right? Mm-hmm. And so that can help people feel more felt. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I frequently am like, gosh, I'm just having a really hard time breathing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it is hard depending on the mask that I'm wearing th- yeah. that day. <laughs> you know, uh, Dr. Roten, he's out of the Trauma Institute in Arizona. I was fortunate to begin learning about uh, the nervous system, not really interpersonal neurobiology, but looking back at it now, I mean, that's what he was talking mm-hmm. about. But he's speaking to what you said of, when a client shares something with you and you feel tears, Mm. he said, I will let my tears come out. And then I say, you can see the tears. And and I wonder Mm -hmm. what that's like for you to see these tears on me. And then following up with, and you can know that there's nothing that you need to do. Mm. I'm just crying with you. Mm -hmm. But how validating I mean, I forgive and have compassion for my younger therapeutic self. So Mm -hmm. I don't want to just shit talk her the whole time in our podcast. But Mm -hmm. I wish so much that my 23-year-old therapy self would have felt okay to have emotions with my client, like you're saying, because 
you might be the only person in that person's life who can reflect back. That is tragic. Mm -hmm. I feel that with you. Um, Resonance is, we talked about this last time, but that is everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and actually just hearing you talk, I know you said we're not going to like shame, but I'm just thinking about agreeing with you on that. And then I was like, gosh, how could I have compassion? Mm -hmm. And I thought, gosh, at 23, I don't, I wasn't, I didn't have compassion for myself. So how could I have done that for somebody else? And I just got out of grad school. I was working full time through grad school. I didn't have money to be doing my own kind of work. You know, I did a little bit of therapy here and there, but um, part of it is growing up in the field is also just continuing to do your work Mm -hmm. um, and knowing that, you know, maybe at 20, 21, 22, 23, um, you haven't done all the work that that could be there, but the awareness is the first part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do want to go back really quickly to what you said about when you name that out loud and your clients can kind of sink in. Mm-hmm. I just resonate with when I check in and I also say, you know, I, I was actually just telling clients last week, I said, gosh, you know, I'm, I'm catching back up the week before I had three days where I had had six hours of sleep. Now, I don't have children. And so for me, mm-hmm. that's not a lot of sleep. Yeah. I had other parents who are like, oh, I wish I had six hours <laughs> of sleep. But three days out of the week for me yeah. to get six hours of sleep was hard. Right. And I had the same experience that you just described where I can see people sink in, whether I had a different experience or not. They're like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. Like it's okay to be tired. Mm-hmm. even as a therapist. And especially if you're in community mental health and you have a caseload of 50 mm-hmm. people or nine or 10 clients a day. Yes. I mean, we have to regulate through that. Yes. And part of it is naming it for us and for them. Um, and I just experience a lot more somatically, just ease in my body. Yes. Or I'll even say, you know, I love doing EMDR with clients. Um, One thing I carry from Bonnie from her words is meeting them where they're at. Like with EMDR, I feel like we make a plan. There's eight phases Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's grounding, especially if people have a lot of anxiety, like here's kind of the roadmap, especially Mm -hmm. if they're calling for EMDR. Mm -hmm. But then what will happen is they come back the next session and we're like, quote, supposed to process, Yeah. but then they just need to talk And so I will get in my left brain prior to about, you know, all the interpersonal neurobiology stuff, I would get in my head about like, shoot, we're supposed to process and we're running out of time now. How do I structure session? And I have just learned to say, we made this plan last week, but I'm wondering what feels best for you. Or we have have these options. It's always an offering, Mm -hmm. right? Same with Santray. Like maybe we're doing Santray, but maybe that's just not what they need. That's okay. And it it helps me as the therapist not hold so tightly to like a protocol. Yes. It's not bad. It just gets at least, I think many clinicians, for me, it would get in my way. We're supposed to do phase four. We're supposed to do this. And that's not true. That's not why they're here. Yes. I'm I'm resonating with that because, uh, as you know, I work part-time at a community mental health agency, Mm -hmm. and uh, one of the therapists that do EMDR there, there's several, but we, if I didn't do EMDR and I was a therapist that wanted my client to do EMDR, my client would be referred adjunctively to an EMDR therapist Mm -hmm. at the agency. Mm -hmm. So when I have clients that are referred to me adjunctively, there's this piece of like, we have to do EMDR every time. Yeah. And when I say we have to do EMDR, it's the bilateral processing. There is a piece of, 
I can be doing EMDR without Without. (laughs) phase four. Yes. Yes. (laughs) However, I wouldn't have known that at the beginning of doing EMDR when I first learned about it. I thought, you know, this is how it has to be. And I want to be careful. It's a research protocol. Yes. Right. Um, And so I understand that when you have a protocol that you're using that's evidence-based, you need to follow it as clearly as you can. Mm -hmm. But in unprecedented times like we're in now, if you haven't been practicing flexibility before, (laughs) this is the time to start practicing being flexible, naming these things out loud, what parts are here, uh, what parts need attention today. And I think if I can, um, I guess we could link this in the show notes. I'm thinking about my favorite uh, yoga instructor, Fiji McAlpine. She's on Do Yoga With Me. It's such a yogi name. Fiji McAlpine. <laughs> Do yoga with me.com. Because um, I've really upped my home yoga practice since COVID and <laughs> out of pure necessity. And uh she always talks about organizing. So when you get into a different pose, she'll say things like, I want you just to organize the hips and, you know, Mm. feel the creases with your thumbs and organize this part here. And just her subtle cues about organizing. And I'm thinking about as we get into the therapy space, it's almost like we need to organize around being there together. Mm. And part of that at least for me as a verbal processor, I suspect many therapists are that way, Mm -hmm. is naming. We talked about this last time, but I'm curious what's most helpful to you today or or just showing up so authentically. I can kind of organize around the pose or around, you know, metaphorically what we're doing in this space. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that you just tied that all together. (laughs) Well, I did yoga last night. It's fresh. (laughs) It is really fresh. She's really great, actually. So we will link her in the notes. Oh, perfect. Um, She is a recovering. Maybe we could get her on here. Oh, Um, She is recovering from an eating disorder and is like a very well-known yoga practitioner. So when I do classes with her, I feel almost like I'm doing therapy. Yes. Um, And it's really cool to link the breath with certain intentions. Yep. I imagine there are so many people listening to this right now that mm. can so resonate with what you just said and, and relate to the <laughs> um, yoga feeling like therapy yeah. or exercise feeling like therapy. Yeah. Um, so for listeners that are on social media, following Dr. Alexandra Solomon, who is an LMFT and the mindful MFT, they're both... I. I believe at least Dr. Alexandra Solomon is on Facebook and Instagram. I think Mindful MFT is just on Instagram. I'm not positive, but love their stuff. And both of them frequently talk about when we get defensive, that is our cue to become curious. Mm -hmm. And I have found during COVID, as I'm on different um, therapy Facebook groups, um, becoming very defensive in how people are talking about how they practice or how they don't practice in relation to COVID. Mm. And it has been so helpful to say, oh, there's that defensiveness. That's my cue to take a pause because I need to be curious now about what's mm-hmm. happening for me. Yeah. Um, and it, I have seen, unfortunately, there's a lot of shaming that goes on um, in the therapist Facebook group worlds. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yes. I I bet someone who's not a therapist would be appalled. Like I'm thinking our partners would be like, therapists are so yes. they're they're so therapisty, right? How could they ever? But it I think that we're the most brutal breed there could be, right? <laughs> and so like because you had an experience. Why don't you share your experience? Um, something that you saw on a Facebook thread. Yeah. It, it, 
And before I start that, I'll say, I don't think anyone's doing it intentionally. No, no, ther- no. I would agree. There are therapists, there are no therapists that want to shame other people. No, right. Everybody wants to provide the best work that they can mm-hmm. based on their own belief system. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so on one page I was on, there was a person who talked about wearing scrubs to her session since COVID. And it was, you know, comment after comment after comment of arguing if that was okay or not. And, you know, some people was, how dare you? Mm. Only medical professionals can do that. Or how do you think that's going to trigger clients? Mm. And other folks were like, what a, what a lovely idea. And what I appreciated is she appeared to stay very attached to herself in these comments mm-hmm. and, and laid it out, which again, I don't think we, we have to explain what, the way we're practicing unless of course there's an ethical thing that we need to, sure. but it was nice to hear the perspective of I'm really afraid. And so I wear some clothes underneath and I wear scrubs that really don't look like scrubs, but they are. I have prepped my clients well before what is going to happen when they come in. And at the end of my day, I take them off. I put them in a bag. I put them in my trunk and I go Mm -hmm. home. So my family is safe. And I think you mentioned it, Abby, about how all of our protective parts are out right now. Yeah. And so who am I to judge that this is part of keeping her safe and her family safe? Mm-hmm. What unprecedented times to be to be doing different things to keep us safe. If you don't feel safe. Mm-hmm. So like in polyvagal speak, you know, poor just would talk about being in your ventral vagal, which <laughs> is just a fancy way of saying like, if you don't feel safe and like all is well in your system, there is no way for anyone else's nervous system to have an invitation into safety. Yes. Even just implicitly. So, and, and we aren't saying everyone go in person and see your clients. That's not what we're saying, no. but we don't know this woman's, we don't even know this person. Right. Maybe she works in a community mental health center and mm-hmm. they're doing it in person or mm-hmm. in a school that is mm-hmm. doing it in person. Or, mm-hmm. you know, I know for me, I work with a lot of survivors of domestic violence and it's not safe for them to do telehealth. And right. so we might do outdoor with masks on and distanced kind of thing. So we have to follow, like you were saying, the ethics and what our licensing board is saying. And we don't know everyone's situation and and what feels safe for that woman is different than someone else who is fine to go and not wear scrubs right um but i like was it the mindful mft that said that's a time to get curious i think both her and dr alexandra solomon say it um i think that's a really i want to say like a kind accountability Mm -hmm. about um can we just get curious whenever we notice that defensiveness yes because that comes up in all of us yeah Mm -hmm. yes and I just want to applaud that person that she recognized if I wear scrubs, I can feel safe Mm -hmm. because now she has created safety for her clients because she feels safe. Yes. So speaking to what you're talking about, the polyvagal theory, we have to feel safe in our bodies and in our environment for our clients to feel safe in their bodies and in our environment. Right. So it's why I don't have glitter in my play therapy room. It's because (laughs) glitter is so overwhelming to me. (laughs) And then they're mixing it in the sand tray and in the Play-Doh and I can't handle it. But a dear friend and colleague of mine, um, she has glitter and good for her. But I think we have to, even in those ways, pre-COVID, right? We have to create our space in a way that, Um, It's okay if they get glitter everywhere or there's not glitter in this office. So (laughs) 
Can you find another way to show me what you need exactly. to? Show me another way. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Lisa Dion. Yes. <laughs> So as we wrap up this second episode, we're so glad that you joined us. And I and I think we would just extend that invitation to be curious this week. Um, whenever you notice your own defenses um, or protector parts, to use IFS speak, with another clinician or colleague, or even that shaming towards yourself, can we all ha- have some curiosity and compassion that we're doing the best we can? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and when we're saying IFS speak, we're Mm -hmm. talking about internal family systems, which is talking about parts, which we've touched on today. A great way to think about just wrapping up what Abby just said is the both and. Mm -hmm. Can I be defensive and Mm -hmm. be curious? Can I be, am I defensive and be curious and both be curious at the same time? Yeah. Maybe there's a more lovely way to say that. No, I think the duality is great. Because so, I really believe, I think this is true, that it's happening anyway. Mm. So we can be defensive and angry and curious and grateful and all those things, right? So it's happening anyway. So we might as well put, name it and put language to it. Yes. Mm-hmm. So thanks for joining us today. We're cheersing you some coffee. See you next time. <laughs>